Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 92 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. How the hell are you, Mitch? I'm not bad. Uh, you might be able to hear or kind of detect a slight gravelly or kind of croakiness to my voice today. Yes, I certainly can. Yeah, you may be able to detect similar in my tones. So for date stamp purposes, we're doing this at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. Yeah, and can I just be the first to say goodbye February? Yes, February can get itself to fuck. I'm thrilled to see the back of it. <laughs> it's not been a great one. Uh, however, last night was amazing. I uh, played my final gig as Watchfire's Mitch. Yeah, are you, what, what's night. going to happen there? Are you going to be changing your social media handles? You know what? I had not considered this at all until uh, my girlfriend asked me yesterday. She's like, are you still going to be Watchfire's Mitch after Watchfire's stop? And I was like, you know what? I have no idea. I hadn't even considered it. you got to look forward uh, to the future, Mitch. You can't be looking to the past. Absolutely not, no. Uh, no. So I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to figure something out there, which is like, it's shaking me to my very core. But, yeah. I mean, that's why I'm no longer Andy Erupts. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, I've got some thinking to do on that one. But, yeah, we uh, we played a gig last night, and then we celebrated the end of the band, or kind of toasted the end of the band in suitably raucous fashion. So, basically, I think I'm doing all right to be here. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're so rock and roll, man. You're so motley crew. People always say that. They call you the bad boy of rock. <laughs> What's been going on with you? Very little, I'll be honest with you. I've just kind of busy being a dad over the weekend. There's life uh, admin has kind of intruded on my viewing and stuff, which we'll come on to. But yeah, I'm okay. I'm alright, yeah, I'm looking forward to this week This week's shaping up to be good We've got the live show later in the week And then I've got a, a potentially pivotal meeting this week as well So I'm looking forward to that Ah, okay, so exciting things happening on numerous fronts Yes, indeed, indeed Now what have you been watching? What have I been watching? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Wednesday, I met up with our old pal Film Fans TV. Of course, of course. For yes. the opening night of the Glasgow Film Festival. And how was it? Well, uh, as an occasion, it was great. The film was Alice Winkur's Proxima. Of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stars Eva Green as a woman who is prepping to spend a year on the International Space Station. Obviously, it's a sci-fi film. The director, Alice Winkler, she was there, and she said um, a lot of films about this are about the shit that happens in space. The point that she's trying to make is that shit also happens on Earth. Right. Which is true, and none of this film happens in space, which I think is to its credit. Um, however, I still didn't like it. <laughs> and everyone's doing good work here. Eva Green is good. The actress that plays her wee daughter is also very good. I mean, the general consensus on this is very positive. But uh, I just wanted to, you know, the one of the things where it's just like you came out of it and I just felt like I never started caring. All right, okay. And I think that it spends quite a lot of time wading through astronaut bureaucracy. But, but you love bureaucracy. <laughs> you know what, honestly, like, if I had a pound for every time a film was ruined by astronaut bureaucracy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like I say, this is out in general pretty soon, but I did not take to it at all, I must say. I found it to be really, really heavy going. Speaking of things that I didn't like, I also watched Nobody Leaves this week on Sky Cinema, formerly Braid. Oh right, okay, I, I remember people liking this. Again, the general consensus on this is reasonably positive. Director is uh, Mitzi Pierron. Sure. And uh, this stars Madeline Brewer from uh, Orange is the New Black, and most notably for our purposes, Cam. Yeah. Uh, also Imogen Waterhouse and uh, Sarah Hay, who stars 
stars in the upcoming Fright Fest selection, the Mortuary Collection. Yes. That is directed by Ryan Spindell. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's playing Glasgow Fright Fest. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, what you have with Braid is you have these two women with substance abuse problems who set out to rob their friend who's mentally unstable and lives on this giant sprawling country estate. I am unsure of how she has come to be there, but it's like in a state of kind of uh, decay. But she's got a lot of problems and they go there and basically what happens is they have to try and kind of play out this fantasy where she is like one of their mothers and the other one is a doctor who has come to attend to the sick child. Right. Um, there are some elements of this that I really like and some stuff that just didn't land for me at all. It's got the feel of uh, kind of like there's some film school-y choices with some of the techniques and arbitrary cuts to black and white and stuff like that that I think kind of yank you out of it a little bit. I think it has the opposite effect of what it's trying to do. Okay. As it gets kind of like more kind of neon, more hallucinatory, more violent as it goes on, I think that it does get better, but I don't think it ever makes it over the line in terms of being something I actually liked. But it's <laughs> trying to do something a little bit different and it's a, re- it's a pretty interesting idea. Performances are mostly all right, but uh, yeah, I kind of had to fight with this one a little bit uh, which I was disappointed by but uh, yeah it's out there it's on Sky Cinema people want to check it out and like I say when this was released under the name Braid people saw it at festivals and seemed to really dig it so um, I would say if you want to check it out go and give it a bash because it's like I say Sky Cinema now TV it's there Excellent thank you Mitch anything else? Uh, yeah actually I just very very quickly want to talk about something we got sent a link to a short this week from Katie Bonham Ah uh, yes indeed yeah Midnight Yes Midnight so I am quite a fan of Katie's work I think you are as well if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken uh, I really like all of her stuff particularly um, I really like the paper round Mm -hmm. that's always been one of hers that I really enjoy mindless is great Uh, Mab's really good Uh, Midnight is very very low budget a 7 minute short that she shot in her house that's right yeah shot it in one day yeah when when you see what it is that she's trying to do or what she does here with obviously with very limited resources very limited time I think it's really impressive it's quite an ambitious piece of storytelling for 7 minutes yeah basically what happens is you have this guy who's named Eddie not that you know that from the film because there's very little in the way of dialogue if anything actually but he is kind of disturbed by these kind of strange sounds in his house and as he goes to investigate them you basically see a couple of things on a couple of timelines or like the history of the house almost okay for depth of storytelling for how short and how minimal it is i think it's really really impressive i think it's actually one of the best things that she's done Wow, Katie seems to be doing really well just now as well. She's I, I noticed that she's got something coming on BBC Four in the next couple of weeks. Well deserved. Very, very, very good filmmaker and always good to see her uh, putting out some new stuff. Yeah, and she's been kind of silently plugging away constantly and that's that's awesome. I do kind of admire that. I remember that after she shot Midnight, uh, she put stuff on social media and it was about a film being finished. And I was like, that's very admirable. I had no idea that she was doing that, neither did anyone else. Yeah. And I think that people spend a lot of time talking about what they're planning on doing or what they might do. And I think that uh, just doing something silently and then saying this is now finished is a better way to approach those things. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I've been guilty of doing that with my own stuff in the past. Well, so have I, so have I. But certainly going forward, I'm not really, as much as humanly possible, I'm really not going to big stuff up in advance because invariably and quite often this stuff falls through and then you're left with kind of egg on your face the last thing I, I would really want to do now is kind of talk about a project that doesn't really exist in any great form or kind of start putting out like promotional materials for something that doesn't exist yeah I hear that I hear that definitely but that's about it for me with one obvious exception did you get anything in this week well I'm going to be honest with you Mitch not really okay that's um, fine I've been busy trying to get stuff together for the upcoming live show oh yeah Which Thursday yeah yeah yeah, we can take a bit of time just to talk about that just now because it's pretty important stuff. 
It's also very immediate, yeah. It's this coming Thursday, uh, March 5th at the Admiral Bar on Waterloo Street in Glasgow. Doors are at 6pm and we will of course be joined by our old pal Graham Hughes, director of Death of a Vlogger, who will no doubt be something of a nervous wreck given that we are not a million miles away from the Scottish or hometown premiere of Death of a Vlogger at Glasgow Fright Fest. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool thing for Graham to take some time out to join us on such a big day. Absolutely, and did I mention the fact that the film we'll be talking about is Roland Emmerich 1998 version of Godzilla. You didn't, but I was trying to not think about it. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to think about it, Mitch. In fact, you're going to have to sit down and physically watch it. Speaking of which, I've noticed that Stevie, film fan Stevie, anytime anybody on our Twitter this week has been talking about going back to rewatch Godzilla 1998, he's been posting gifts trying to steal them away from that folly. I have noticed he's been doing that. Yeah, he's it's kind of he's the uh, Godzilla equivalent of uh, John McPhail's secret obsession in that anytime anyone mentions it, they just appear. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I've been doing stuff for that. So that's happening. We have the Arrow Video goodie bag. Yes, that's safely arrived. Big thank you to those guys as ever for being yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah. Massive thanks to the guys at Arrow Video. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. I love doing live shows. Yes, it's great. I am going to have to watch this at least twice between now and then, though, which means I'm going to have to spend at least five hours of my time watching Roland Emmerich's Godzilla, because it's so long. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's somewhere in the region of 140 minutes. Highly objectionable stuff, I must say. I feel like Graham <laughs> is taking advantage of our good natures by making us watch this. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fucking repulsive that it's that long. Or- <laughs> Reprehensible. Absolutely, thoroughly. Uh, what, what I will say though, Mitch, is I think I'm going to have something interesting to talk about next week. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I've taken delivery of a Blu-ray, Glenn Danzig's oh. Verotica. No. Yes, yes, yes indeed. Yeah. Oh my, okay. Yeah, I've, I, be, I've been wanting to see this for a while. I know that it's apparently terrible, um, but I simply have to see it oh i'm excited oh that's a oh that's a big one yeah maybe that, that, that could be a future episode in and of itself who knows perhaps yeah it could be a potential andy versus mitch one for the future who knows <laughs> i have one more mitch's 90 side quest okay that's fine i'll take that that'll, that'll do yeah, that'll hold for now. I am on a 90s horror side quest, as you may have heard last week. Didn't have much luck last week. Went back to Michael Haneke's Funny Games and uh, found it to be holding up less and less well with every rewatch. <laughs> wow. Um, so I actually had another rewatch this week. I'm not going to lie. Like uh, I've had a very exhausting week involving a little bit of zigzagging all over the country. So I kind of settled back into things that were accessible and things that were comfortable. Sure. Um, so I did, however, make time to revisit Seven. Okay, okay, David Fincher's Seven. Yes, Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey, I will not hear people telling me that this is not a horror film. Yeah, I'm kind of the same with Jaws. I'm not having people tell me that Jaws isn't a horror film. Yeah, I think that, like, the situations that this film kind of, like, visits, because it's not a violent film, but, like, the situations and the murders and the descriptions of the murders and stuff, it's like, yep, it's absolutely horrifying, I think. Yeah, and if the definition of horror is something that you find horrific or horrifying, then surely it's such a kind of wide, open playing field. Yeah, it fits the profile for me anyway, but I think that it's not really a film that uh, needs any particular introduction. You've got Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman investigating a killer that is uh, killing people kind of in the style of or in homage to The Seven Deadly Sins. Yes. Uh, I think this is great. Obviously, like, I think that like you know you get to a point where it's a little bit kind of I don't know it's a little off to be uh, talking too much length about Kevin Spacey these days. 
But I, tell you, I mean, I don't think there's any, there's no two ways about it. The central performances in this are amazing. This is this is great, I think, and uh, it's got one of the darkest endings imaginable, I think, as well. And when see when you read back, like I did a little bit of reading about the production history of this film. The original plan for the ending of that was that there was going to be like a chase sequence, right, where they ended up following him to an old house and stuff like that, and it just sounds awful. And I think that I'm really glad that they stuck to their guns and they, because obviously not to be too spoilery, but the ending itself is incredibly nihilistic. I think. I actually think it's one of the great endings in cinema. Uh, I agree. I agree. I think. And I think. I think it's brilliant. Also, what I would say as well is. You know, like there's real names in this, uh-huh. and it's uh, incredibly dark material. And I'd be very curious if anyone could pitch to me another example of a kind of horror thriller that was so rooted in the mainstream since then that is this nasty. Since then, yeah, because I'm having a hard time thinking of any, but I also know nothing. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would like to open the floor up to people who know more than me. Have you ever seen California? I know it was out before this, but it's uh, Brad Pitt playing a serial killer along uh, on a road trip with uh, Juliette Lewis, David Duchovny, and Michelle Forbes. No, I don't know that one. It's really good. Like, I, I, I really love it. You should check that out. California with a K. Cool. Okay, I will keep that in mind. Yeah. So moving on. Yeah. What have they been saying? They've been saying a wide variety of things today, I'll say that. Uh, do you know what they've been talking about in great length, though? Go on. Uh, showgirls. Yeah, so, I've, actually, we've spoken more about Showgirls on the feedback this week than we have about Lake Placid. Um, <laughs> big thank you to Blair Bathory for joining us, rejoining us on episode 91, her first appearance on the show since episode 5. That's crazy, isn't it? And mental, yeah. Talking Lake Placid, it was a lot of fun. But she did say that one of the reasons that she chose Lake Placid as her film was because we didn't let her have Showgirls, which is true. Actually, technically, you didn't let her have Showgirls. I was going to say, I'm gonna, that, that's on me. Like, I, I didn't want to do Showgirls. I didn't feel that it met the show's brief which is understandable i think that that is fair however we did say that if uh, the people showed enough interest then we would have blair back in a little while and we would do it how did that pan out well there's a lot of capital letters um <laughs> cosmic ray girl uh, alexis getting in touch to say of course you need to defend showgirls <laughs> okay Kenel getting in touch to say plus one for showgirls okay uh, Andre Martins at Callahan getting in touch to say, I was considering unsubscribing after finding out you robbed us from an episode on the masterpiece that's Showgirls. Uh, I hope there's enough outrage to convince you to give it a shot now. It does certainly seem to be pointing in the direction of there being enough. Less tangentially, uh, Alexis, Cosmic Ray Girl, also got in touch and just spoke Lake Placid, which not that many people did, actually. Most people were talking about Showgirls, but she did say, honestly, I love this film. Oliver Platt's dancing and how Brendan Gleeson grimaces at everything. Also, I still have a crush on Bill Pullman. Bridget Fonda's character is poor, though. Too much whinging. Maybe it is more of a character than a performance thing there. Yeah, that definitely is. Yeah, it's, but I do agree. I do, I do find that character to be like pretty irksome. And yeah, I think, that, I think that it's more of a writing problem. Do you know what I've been thinking? Go on. There's going to come a point, right, when we're doing these Anaconda films with Jill, where we reach Lake Placid versus Anaconda. I think it's really weird that they called it that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned that as in as if the lake itself were the villain. Yes, this like 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 the anaconda isn't fighting the lake. I would I assume. <laughs> I don't even know how that would work. How would that even? <laughs> exactly. Anacondas are quite at home in water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Anaconda vs. Lake Placid is a very pacifistic film where a snake just gets into the water and has a nice time. Mm, that sounds nice. Back to my point, Mitch. Yes, of course. There's going to come a point where we reach that film, and uh, perhaps we could arrange a four-way. Oh, Andy versus Mitch versus Blair versus Jill, Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Jesus Christ. Yeah, like that. That's a lot. (laughs) 
That's mighty stuff. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. We Very have interesting. the technology. We do have the technology. I want to say a quick look. Kim Morrison got in touch on a couple of points. First off, saying don't bother watching Congo on film four, fellow strong violent PC fans, because they cut out all the good bits. No Tim Curry face smash or gorillas jumping in the lava. Nothing. Raging. I hate no. when they do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't neuter these things in that way. Horrendous. Mm. Uh, she also uh, cracked the escape room code. Big well done to her. Successfully <laughs> in the uh, ocean of films out there with uh, escape room as the title. Uh, she successfully found Adam Robitaille's one and watched it and also enjoyed it. So uh, landed on her feet there because I think that you watched at least one that you didn't enjoy and then watched Adam Robitaille's one and didn't like that either. Well, no, I didn't mind Adam Robitaille's one, but I believe my exact quote was, it's very silly. I mean, yeah, which, but yeah, there's room in the world for daftness. I'm fine with that. Yeah, the other one was, that I watched was a shit show. That was the one with uh, the guy that's chained to the wall and the chain's getting incrementally shorter and yeah, <laughs> or incrementally uh, longer. Uh, yeah, it's very, very, very stupid. Yeah, that's yeah, it's awful to be yeah. fair um you got anything else plenty time for some sticky fun with the garbage pail kids okay laura bynan bynan lv getting in touch to say listening to strong violent pc on the garbage pail kids movie and feeling decidedly queasy yes i saw it in vhs and it seemed to fit in with all that 80s toxic gloopiness and a bit frank henenlotter but you know for kids <laughs> it was just what the, it was just that was just what the zeitgeist was demanding at the time wasn't it oh absolutely absolutely a uh, new person alert oh yeah okay cool yeah we've got Bugenhagen at dj Bugenhagen getting in touch okay. to say just discovered your podcast through following sam ashurst you've got yourself a new listener chaps great fun thank you Ah, welcome aboard. Yeah. Is it wrong to now be considering getting a copy of Garbage Pail Kids movie for my daughter? Yes. I missed it on VHS at the time, but now I'm intrigued. Um, I, I would say vet it. Watch it first. I don't know how old your daughter is, but I would say watch it first and think hard about whether or not that's something that you want yeah, to expose them to. I would also say don't use your daughter as a scapegoat. Or a guinea pig. Yeah, just buy it for yourself. Oh, wow. Yeah, great point. Yeah, actually, yeah, get out of denial. <laughs> Admit who this is really for, man. <laughs> uh, Salter Popcorn getting in touch on Twitter as well. I've now watched the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Time to catch up on the main Strong Violent PC episode and mini-sode about it. I did not like being out of the loop for that long. Phew, we'll try not to let it happen again. So, uh, yeah, Kevin rejoining the 100% Club this week uh, after catching up with those two. Yep, um, Kevin remaining quite tight-lipped, though, on his thoughts on the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps that'll be forthcoming in the coming weeks and months after he's had some time to think. To absorb, yeah, I think I think that we all need some. I think we all need a little bit of a period of reflection after that. So I can understand that. <laughs> sure, I've got something else on the garbage pail kids here coming in from the listener with I think my favourite Twitter handle. Okay, it's Al at Jobby Soros Rex, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this might be my favourite garbage pail kids related message that we've had. I can't be the only person who, upon having their eyes burnt by the sight of Greaser Greg, sees Ian McShane as Lovejoy. Oh, he side-by-sided this, didn't he? Yeah, and I'm looking at it right now, and the, the similarities are, are startling. I think what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll reshare this, just for the purposes of clarity. But it's, uh, yeah, it's quite an alarming... Quite an alarming image. It's a bell that can't be unwrong as well. Like, you, like, you won't be able to unsee it after that. Absolutely not. Um, elsewhere, Paddy Murphy got in touch uh, talking about the announcement of Godzilla as being the film for the live show, saying, Tragically remember being young and stupid and loving Roland Emmerich's Godzilla when I was 14 and saw it in the cinema. Eager to hear Faction Man defend it on the show. Wanted to rewatch it, but only places I can find it are charging for it, and I'll be fucked if I'm paying for it. Graham replied saying, I'm old and super smart, and I still love it. <laughs> 
I'm sure I'll make my opinions on Godzilla 1998 quite clear in the coming days. I think it will come as no surprise to anyone to hear that I'm not in the same camp as Paddy was even when he first saw it. No, no, no. no. That's not that's not shocking at all. Scale Sheepless, Caitlin Downs getting in touch to say the 1998 Godzilla is available on Sky Cinema. Oh, okay, so cool. That's go. convenient. Yeah, there you, go. yeah, yeah, you yeah. can add that into your streaming platform stuff. So starting to watch <laughs> Ready for Strong Violent PC. Before I go for a haircut, I hope your haircut was successful. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes. I think that might have been the longest opening credit sequence I've ever seen. So some handy advice there if you're trying to catch up for the live show then. Absolutely, yes indeed. And I can tell you, Mitch, exclusively. Yes. I have no more feedback. Okay, I have um, just two things left. Uh, film fan Stevie, as we mentioned earlier, he's been spending the week uh, trying to direct people away from uh, Godzilla. <laughs> um, he's also in Glasgow and did mention uh, on Friday morning when the episode came out, he said, hang on, this isn't the Curzon Soho, currently listening to this week's Strong Violent PC while having breakfast. Yes, I do eat sometimes before experiencing day three of the Glasgow Film Festival with five films. Stevie Treat of Form is cramming every available space with a film. Yeah, he, uh, I don't know how he does it, really. It's uh, unbelievable, but uh, I say every available space, he is taking a break from films to uh, come and check out the live show, which I do appreciate. Admirable. Yes, very admirable, especially since I believe what is on in that slot is the UK premiere of the Black and White Cut Parasite. Oh, really? And yes. I know that Stevie's a big fan. He is a big fan of that film, so there you go. Uh, some some kindness there from Stevie. And also Nazi on Twitter uh, referencing the 90s side quest, saying, Hello, Watchfires Mitch. When making your way through <laughs> the many 1990s films, please stop by Species 2 for over-the-top alien-dicking bonkersness. I'm uh, no stranger to Species 2. I had a feeling you might not be. So I'm more than happy to second Sheridan's recommendation. Cool. Okay, good. That wraps up my feedback. Yes, and I'm all out. So? <laughs> It's once again time for Mitch's Pitches. Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment while we're recording. And he will send a message to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He will photoshopped out the title and the tagline, any other identifying text, leave only the image. And it will fall to me to give the film a title and a synopsis, as well as describing the image to the best of my ability. We'll put it on social media so you can all pitch along at home. Yep, yep. And I've got to be honest, I'm really excited to hear these. Uh, yeah, it's really, really good week again, I must say. So last week we had... Tentacles. Tentacles, reappropriated by me as Elephantopus, the shrieking revenge of Dr. Matt, our transporter. Oh man, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> did not cover myself in glory on that one, I must say. Uh, however, loads of other people did. C.P. Buckley getting in touch on Instagram. When Sally Soaking goes on spring break, she and her friends get more than they bargain for when the beach is attacked by a giant squid. The Coast Guard managed to kill the squid, and it's a calamari barbecue for everyone. <laughs> so... Sally meets Ricardo Rockhard, a millionaire playboy who brings them onto his yacht. However, once there, they find out there are more squids as they are slowly suckered into their deaths. Sally must find the courage and strength to save her remaining friends. It's a 1981 misguided period allegory, Killer Squids, Spring Break Fever. <laughs> Canel, the eponymous monstrous octopus from a bottomless orifice, assaults an obvious <laughs> roster of anonymous tossers in 1974's Horrible Octopus. <laughs> I love the title, Horrible Octopus. Does Tommy Wiseau not have a new shark film coming out or something called Big Shark? I believe that's true, yes. Yeah, but um, Horrible Octopus, uh, presumably in the same universe as Horrible Bosses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Canal delivered a really good one there, in my opinion. I thought it was great. Um, Hanny underscore Ray. Once the Islanders worshipped the creature, leaving its sacrifices, but long forgotten, it roams hungrily, attacking anyone foolish enough to venture into its lair. When a group of such fools attract its attention, it's 1977's Octogod. Ooh. 
By NLV, when Canon Films started mining arthouse classics in 1986, they saw possession and decided to go one better in the unreleased New Directions in Erotica, Octoshag. <laughs> I trust you say what you see from James Plum at Mad Science Films, 1983's Fucktopus. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Tony Constantine, this might take me a couple of goes. Sure. When the Babe Station Network is suddenly turned over to a mysterious new owner, things take a sinister turn, when in turn, he turns out to be a godlike interdimensional betentacled being who plans to turn the, the, off the Babe Station Network and keep fave babe cat Whiteflaps for himself. <laughs> Whisking Whiteflaps away to his subterranean babe lair, the remaining Babe Station babes must turn to Babe Station babe manager Mustafa Vank to save, <laughs> to save the top babe and get Babe Station and the Babe Station babes back on the air and director BJ Loveshaft's The Call Girl of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really like that. Very good. And Chris Salt, to conclude, dismissed by the patriarchal scientific community as a bimbo because of her voluptuous curbs, marine cryptozoologist Dr. Melanie Frontage sets out to <laughs> prove her mettle by tracking down a rare giant octopus mentioned in Scandinavian folktales. Enlisting the help of Maverick Sea Captain Dan Glenticle, <laughs> she sets sail for adventure and scholarly recognition. Following a long and fruitless search, she gets more than she bargained for when they encounter not one but two of the elusive beasts. But after netting them and bringing them aboard for study, she discovers that Captain Dan has plans of his own. He secretly intends to sell the tentacle terrors to a global syndicate of octopus poachers. Now wow. the battle begins. Can Melanie release her enormous charges before the unscrupulous seamen get his hands on them? <laughs> Find out in 1975's The Kraken Pair. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful stuff. That's what you look for this week, so best character name and best pitch. Uh, I think best character name is going to go to Mustafa Vank. Okay, I had a feeling it might. And best uh, pitch to James Plum. James Plum fucked the piss. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you've just got to err on the side of simplicity, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so I guess it's my turn then. It is indeed. Are you ready? Sure. Here it comes over now. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Right, okay, let's take a wee look. Okay, so the border of the image is plain black. There's not a border, really, actually. It's just a black background. Um, the bottom half of the image is completely black. I'm assuming that's where the text has been removed. You would be correct in that assumption. In the kind of top half of the image, it's a red backdrop, and there's a hooded figure holding what looks like a javelin. Right. Uh, in his right hand, or his or her right hand. Set into his silhouette, we have uh, a kind of like sliced-up picture of a number of Olympic athletes with medals around their necks. There is a guy in a red tank top and blue shorts... They're kind of they're kind of all in kind of gymnast outfits mostly, really, uh, or white, pale blue, red, and dark blue. Right. Yep. Mm. And that's about it, really. Hooded javelin brandishing man or woman uh, stands by, and kind of in their silhouette, we see multiple Olympic athletes that look like they're from the eighties. Cool. That's 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 fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I uh, will need a moment. <laughs> What I've noticed here, Mitch, as well, that you failed to mention is that he appears to be wearing a tracksuit. Um, so it could very well be Jonathan Davis from Corn. <laughs> it's an extrapolation, but I'll allow it, considering I pretended for the purposes of a stupid pitch last week that the top half of an octopus's head was an elephant. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. I, I still, I, I actually revisited that image to try and to see if I could make more sense of what you were talking about. Look, I'm um, not good with animals, okay? Wow. The revelations just keep on coming. Are you happy now? <laughs> Have you finished your pitch yet? Uh, yes, I am there. 
Okay, um, lay it on me. Okay, here we go. The year, once again, is 2024. For fuck's sake. (laughs) And the Summer Olympics have returned to America. Uh With President Winfrey putting pressure on the athletes to deliver the goods to try and restore the nation's shattered morale and wounded sense of civic pride, the film follows a number of Olympic athletes hoping to find glory, including gymnast Iona Leotard, javelin thrower Lance Skewerman, and swimmer Bubbles Neptune. However, podium finishes are the least of their worries as the camp is stalked by a mysterious hooded figure, hell-bent on exacting revenge for their unceremonious expulsion from the team four years earlier. Run, swim, and somersault for your life in 1988's The Revenge of the Hellishly Devilish Medalist Fetishist. <laughs> I quite like that. I like the names, and what I especially liked is the sneaking in the fact that Oprah Winfrey has been elected president. Yes, thank you. I thought that was quite good. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna allow myself some self congratulation on that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Okay, presumably I'm very, very wrong. Yeah. What year did you say? I said eighty-eight. So it was eighty-eight, but set in twenty twenty-four. Yes. Uh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, it was nineteen eighty-four. Oh, not too bad. And the film was Fatal Games. Fatal Games. Tell me more. Yeah. Well, this week's synopsis coming in from someone new. Okay. Kenneth Peterson. Okay, lay on me, Kay. Yeah. A mad javelin thrower kills teenagers in the school. All promising athletes are executed in the most brutal way. Especially naked girls in dressing rooms or saunas. No doubt. Uh, that's it. For a minute there, just because of the way you paused, I thought that a mad javelin thrower kills teenagers in the school was all the synopsis we were going to get. <laughs> Uh, is this one any good? Uh, I've not seen it. All oh, right, okay, I, that's fair enough. It doesn't. It sounds awful. <laughs> I was tickled by the poster. Yes, with good reason, I would say it's a good shout for this purpose. Uh, in yeah, fact, it, it actually, feels very much like something that will find its way to the eighty-eight film slasher classics collection. Uh, yeah, that sounds plausible. In the meantime, though, uh, the best way to throw some notoriety in this film's direction is to join in and pitch yourself. This poster is everywhere now on our social media channels. So if you want to get in on that, then you know what to do. Yes, absolutely, and we love hearing from you. These make our week. They're always so, so funny. Yeah, 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 they're great. So, streaming platforms this week then, we have a, kind of like a kind of a thinnish crop, although Netflix doing pretty good for itself here. Thursday the 5th, we've got First Reformed, the Paul Strader film. Yeah. In the throes of spiritual crisis, a pastor counsels a pregnant parishioner's desperate husband and finds the ground falling out from beneath him. A couple of things on Friday the 6th, uh, both of which sound ridiculous. Twin murders, the silence of the White City. A detective returns to Vittoria Gasteiz to solve murders mimicking those allegedly committed by a serial killer who's about to be released from prison. And also, guilty. When a college heartthrob is accused of rape by a less popular student, his girlfriend navigates various versions of the story in search of the truth. Want to watch yourself with that one? Absolutely. Like, yeah, you like, like, you really have to think hard about the story you're telling if that's the story you're telling. I'm going to watch that out of kind of like morbid curiosity, I think, at some point. I could definitely see myself doing that. Sunday the 8th, Man on a Ledge. When a fugitive ex-cop threatens to jump from a high window ledge, psychologist Lydia Mercer suspects there's more to the stunt than meets the eye. Excellent. Okay, moving on. Uh, Amazon Prime, a whole lot of nothing. Wow. Shudder's got some very cool stuff coming in the next few weeks. This week, though, all that it's really kind of flagging up so far that I could see was the finale of The Deadlands. Right, okay. Uh, which is cool and on Sky Cinema on Friday the 6th we've got Brightburn when Brandon played by Jackson A. Dunn turns 12 he realises he has superpowers that are stronger than he could possibly imagine throughout the course of this superhero slash horror flick he slowly gives in to his darkest urges much to the detriment of those closest to him yeah I've, I watched Brightburn remember I talked about it on the show would I be right in saying that you weren't mad about it I wasn't mad about it It's, uh, I mean it's basically the flip of the Superman story yeah and it has some gnarly stuff in it but I just overall I was underwhelmed like. okay okay well, I mean it's out there along with everything else that we've mentioned just there 
pick of the week this week, I'm going to say first deformed. Right, okay, yeah, I would agree with that. So, this week. So as we prep for the live show, giving ourselves a little bit of a breather this week, not by not having an episode, we're not monsters, but we are having our monthly Andy versus Mitch episode. Yeah, yeah, and we, we as you might have noticed by now, we're kind of picking and choosing when the month these fall. Yeah, it's, it's very much, very much whenever it's suitable and whenever it's doing us a favour. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was me last time. Yeah, what did um, you do last time? I did knock knock. Oh... Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. time for you to have your revenge. I don't know if uh, this is c- going to be considered any kind of revenge. Okay, what are we doing? Going back to 1988. All right. And we'll be joining Roddy Piper. Okay. As he traverses a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Okay. And hell comes to Frogtown. Ooh, I've never seen this. <laughs> Well, you're going to. Uh, yeah, that's exciting. Hell Comes to Frogtown. Excellent. I think that people are going to be happy about this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Hell Comes to Frogtown this week for Andy versus Mitch for episode 92. How are you feeling about that? Get in touch with us and let us know. You can catch us on Facebook and Instagram or Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC and you can also email Scenes at gmail.com. Yep, all this information and more can be found on our website, strongviolentpod.com, where you can also find links to our T Public page. You can find links to the various platforms that you can listen to us. You can also find updates on live shows as and when they're announced. Um, And on that note, we do have a live show coming up this week and tickets are available now. You can hop on to Eventbrite and just uh, type in Strong Language Violent Scenes and uh, yeah, you should be able to find them there. The tickets are £3 but we hope and we trust that we are giving you £3 worth of entertainment. I certainly hope that that is true. Yeah, I would hate for someone to leave either a gig that was free or one that they paid £3 for and be like, I feel robbed. I feel extremely shortchanged. <laughs> we will hopefully see some of you on Thursday at that very live show. Failing that, we will be back on Friday talking Hell Comes to Frogtown. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.